The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. People want to make friends, just trying to make it money. My job is not to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. On the day when we shrugged off the Fed's taper announcement, Dow actually gaining 105 points, S&P advancing 0.65%, and the Nasdaq jumping 1.04%. Wow. You need to understand that this is a market where the tail can indeed wag the dog. Where what's happening to a stock can be more important than what's happening at the underlying company itself. Now, we've always had some stocks that traded more on individual excitement than institutional fielding. I created the acronym FANG in order to capture that. FANG, because Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google were beloved by home gamers first, not by institutions. The home gamers who kept buying them and making fortunes, even as the big money people on Wall Street remained skeptical. At one point, all these stocks were deriders being too giddy. Giddy being a code word that means something rallying because of dumb money. Wall Street speak for you. Yeah, regular investors, you. I rebel at these condescending judgments. Big reason, by the way, why we created the investment club here. And I often share your enthusiasm for stocks most pros denigrate. But these wise men are very often betting against your instincts. In particular, you had a whole cottage industry of experts who crow about how Amazon and Netflix would never, ever turn a profit, no matter how much you like their services and products, no matter how much you paid. Many of these so-called professional money managers were too skeptical, too pessimistic. It's in their nature. They thought these companies were run by dreamers with their heads in the clouds. When in reality, the CEOs of Amazon and Netflix were ruthless businessmen who also happened to be visionaries. Today, both companies are incredibly profitable, but the skeptics have never been, they've never been held to account. That's what we do here. Well, then Tesla came along. That's one of the greatest stock stories ever told. This is a company 
It's now worth $1.2 trillion. Even though it'll be lucky to produce a million cars this year when Ford, GM, and Toyota collectively make tens of millions of cars, yet when you lump them together, they're not even worth a fraction of Tesla. Maybe it's not so much a car company. Every step of the way, you heard that Tesla's valuation was totally divorced from reality, and every step of the way kept going higher. You can't justify that market capitalization on the basis of the numbers. You can only justify it on the basis of vision. If electric vehicles are indeed the future of the auto industry and Tesla's the future of electric vehicles, then $1.2 trillion might not be a stretch. But professional money managers generally disdain that kind of analysis. I find it as free-thinking and rigorous. Which brings me to the events of the last 24 hours, where candy individual investors have reclaimed the valuations of all sorts of companies with the aid of some shock-like hedge funds who smell the blood of short sellers in the water. Yesterday, we saw a monster move in Avis that was really kind of, this is watershed stuff. You can't just say, oh, that was yesterday. This, these things have to really be dealt with head on. I'm not leaving it after one day. See, the, 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 this was seminal in the way it went up. And today, at least at the opening, we got an amazing run in Bed Bath and Beyond. Okay, now a huge part of these gains is similar to what we saw with GameStop and AMC. If you can take a look at the Bed Bath, you can see what I'm telling you about. These saw these at AMC, and we saw that in GameStop in January. If you notice, this is a kind of parabolic move. Okay. Uh, where I'm saying these are watersheds. You don't get these in normal markets. That's why we're addressing them. See, there were tons of short sellers betting against this and betting against Avis. And they went against the traders in favor of you. And that forced the short sellers to buy back stock in order to close out their ill-advised positions. Large hedge funds realized that you were going to take this stock up. and So then they decided to crush the hedge funds. And it worked. Two different kinds of hedge funds, the shorting kind and the long kind. Now, in the case of Avis, the rental car company reported jaw-dropping quarter where they earned nearly twice what Wall Street was looking for. In the case of Bed Bath, they announced a joint venture between their bye-bye baby unit and Kroger, something I talked about with CEO Mark Tritton on Squawk on the Street this morning. Bed Bath also accelerated its buyback dramatically. I bring up these two. Because they are fantastic illustrations of how the mechanics of money management can impact individual stocks and about the change in this environment. See, hedge fund managers often have a huge disadvantage during a bull market like this one. Many of them have no choice but to run what's known as a balanced book. Balanced book. Meaning their long positions and their short positions, what they own and what they sell against, should be even. Basically, the clients are using them to hedge what otherwise would be straight ownership of good companies. In other words, there are tons of hedge funds that have to short stocks. It's in their charter, so to speak. Even in a fabulous bull market, they need to find something to bet against. So they're always looking for targets and shorting the uneven Bed Bath & Beyond. Again, say a Macy's or a Costco, which had fantastic numbers tonight. They had tremendous, you know, these guys... They did have horrendous management before Mark Tritton came in. And by the way, last quarter was a disappointment for Tritton because they had the wrong kind of promotions. And maybe that's why more than 28 percent of the shares that trade were sold short as of this morning. But the short sellers made one mistake. They forgot what happened earlier this year when a brand new cohort of investors started shooting against the short sellers. Anytime they got too crowded, anytime there were too many of them. And that's why Bed Bath & Beyond finished today up more than 15%, but at one point it was up more than 50%. Memo to the shorts. If you think you are shooting fish in a barrel when you go after these companies, well, you may not be the guy with the gun. Buy Bed Bath & Beyond on this pullback. It should be bought. 
the Kroger opportunity is too big to ignore. And I bet the shorts aren't finished covering. Okay, how about Avis? Now, this was even dumber. Lots of money managers wanted a piece of Hertz, its competitor, which was cheaper than Avis and had a better story. But the ones who run what's known, again, as a balanced book needed something to protect them from the downside. So when they went long Hertz, they shorted Avis. They didn't understand that they'd get wrecked if we got any good news. So when Avis reported a blowout quarter thanks to the auto shortage, the stock exploded and the shorts got to experience what it feels like to lose more than 100% of your money. Now, what matters here is what didn't matter, and that's the traditional valuation metrics that so many money managers come on air or in the papers or tell their investors is what really matters. Should Avis have added $10 billion in enterprise value due to a single quarter? No, uh, no, it shouldn't have. Uh, it, it's superficial. Should Bed Bath run like this when it recently reported some not-so-hot numbers? Eh, I can spin out a story about how bye-bye baby division could be worth the current price of the entire company, something I tried this very morning, but Triton wouldn't take the bet. Bait. Otherwise, no, probably wasn't. Uh, but at the end of the day, these stocks are like GameStop or AMC, in that at their highs of the day, they did divorce themselves from the fundamentals. It happened. Now, maybe the better comparisons are Netflix and Amazon, which made you fortunes in the face of heavy shorting, even though their valuations were totally unjustifiable until many, many years later. Netflix and Amazon were about superior producers, whereas GameStop and AMC are about the mechanics of the market. I don't think anyone honestly believed these stocks deserved to trade as high as they did early last year. But the buyers took their cue from Clint Eastwood in Unforgiven. They realized that deserves got nothing to do with it. There were simply too many short sellers who had to capitulate, and their surrender sent the stocks into the stratosphere. That's what we saw in Avis yesterday and in Bed Bath this morning. Again, this is the revolution, okay? These are people who typically have not owned stocks. They come in, they buy them up, and cause the short sellers to capitulate, which is probably right here. And then the short sellers probably come back at the end of the day. But they're about to get hit again. Now, there will always be shorts that go awry. Look at this one. There were a ton of short sellers who got steamrolled at Estee Lauder just yesterday. Okay, this is what happened. First, the stock got crushed. Okay, People thought the numbers could be bad. And then they listened to the conference call. They realized they were on the wrong side of the tree. It was a good quarter. See, the hedge funds bet against it because they figured the Chinese business would be hammered, like, not unlike Nike. That turned out to be a myth. I see the fingerprints of hedge funds all over this mistaken thesis. Also, a sizable bet against a company that we all know now is worth every penny, Moderna, every step of the way. That one hurt to watch because the bull thesis was so irresistible. They got a vaccine. We got a pandemic. Well, why would you bet against that? Might as well punch yourself in the face. But the bottom line, we now live in a world where individual investors like you have realized that they can destroy the short sellers whenever the short sellers get too overconfident. They know they can pressure the shorts and force them to capitulate, as I just showed you, whenever they crowd into a stock. And a bunch of short sellers surrendering en masse will indeed cause any stock to do what this did. And that's what created stocks like situations like Avis or Bed Bath. And it created GameStop and it created AMC. And I bet we'll see many more of those until hedge funds learn their lesson. Stay away from crowded shorts. Brian in New Jersey. Brian. Jim, we have a company that's been in business for close to 100 years. They have a great product line, but since the IPO earlier this year, the stock has gotten crushed. I love their snacks. What do you think about the stock? UTZ, Utz. Okay, Utz did not have a good quarter. Utz did not have its costs under control. Utz needed an environment where it did not have to go up against Lay's. 
And you know what? They don't have the scale to be able to handle the, the cost that went up. And I'm going to do a piece about, about what's known as scale and price later in this week that can be. And I thank you for bringing it to my attention, Brian, because I can use that as an example. All right. I think we're going to see many more stocks about like what happened to Avis and Bed Bath, not unlike what happened to AMC and GameStop earlier in the year until hedge funds learn their lesson and stop shorting the same stocks over and over. Individual investors like you can destroy these guys if you want to. Well, everybody, tonight, some notable CEOs have made it on the mad money wall of shame after letting down their shareholders. And tonight, I am indeed adding a new name to the list. Then Wingstop fell today after missing Wall Street's third quarter expectations. So I'm getting to the heart of the report and finding out what it might take to get the stock to fly once again. And there's no business without a planet to do business on. So I'm talking to the one and only Jane Goodall, who is on a mission beyond primates to save our Earth. Who are focused on planting trees. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand. NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Now the Federal Reserve has started to taper its bond purchases, something that will likely lead ultimately to higher long-term interest rates. What do you do with the dividend stocks that compete with the bond market? 
Ones like the utilities, which you know we like so much on Mad Money. Take Nysource, okay? It's one of the largest fully regulated utilities in the country. Very reliable. 3.2 million natural gas customers, half a million electric customers across the Midwest, Mid-Atlantic. They're in a lot of cool states. This morning, Nysource just reported a robust quarter with good guidance, and the stock rallied more than 2%. At these levels, the stock now sports a 3.5% dividend yield. But if bond yields are set to keep rising, then the payout can't be the only selling point, right? You need another angle, and this is why I wanted a nice source on ESG. Yes, over the next several years, they're ramping up their investments in alternative energy while phasing out their coal plants with the goal, with the goal of reducing scope on green emissions. Get this, greenhouse emissions by 90% by the end of the decade. That's what we're looking for on the show. And that would be incredible. So let's take a closer look with Joe Hamrock. He's the president CEO of NYSource. Learn more about the quarter and his vision for the future. Mr. Hamrock, welcome to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Thanks. And it's a pleasure to be with you. Oh, well, it's great. Now, we look at the homepage of your uh, utility and it says people must be at the center of a sustainable energy future. What do we think people should be doing to be at the center of that? Well, it, it, you said it. It's uh, it's really about um, the transition that we're in. And as we look at the opportunities that lie ahead, and we're well down the path already at NYSource with, uh, as you noted in your opening comment, a plan that's already underway that will deliver a 90% reduction in greenhouse gases from transition away from coal to renewable and clean energy sources. The, the real key to sustaining that transition is to keep the people at the, at the center of our focus, those being the people who dedicate their lives to this industry, to delivering for our communities, the American workers who are so critical to the transition itself, but so critical to the the future of energy in our country. And then the people in our more vulnerable communities who really need to be carefully um, uh, treated as as we navigate through this, communities that can be left behind if we're not careful. That's the key to sustaining this, and, and we're right in the middle of that as we speak. Well, I, I, you know, I share your vision, uh, but I do look at the states that you're in. Uh, you made a great acquisition, by the way. I thought that was terrific. But a lot of the states don't have a lot of sun, and, you know, not all of them have a lot of wind. What do you do when the uh, elements aren't in your favor? Yeah, so storage is a key part of the answer here. As, as we think about the transition, think about how energy supply rises and falls as people use, um, needs to rise and fall as people use it throughout the day. Uh, and, and the sun may or may not be shining, wind may or may not be blowing, as you pointed out. Storage plays a key role in that. But more importantly, and this is a key uh, insight that we have from operating electric and gas utilities across six states, it's really critical that we coordinate the energy systems, electric, gas, and the transportation systems to make sure we deliver on America's energy needs in the future. And think about the gas system. Gas, America's gas infrastructure is a tremendous benefit to, for this transition because of the capacity that it provides and the storage capabilities that it provides. And all of that, it time, multiples of what the electric system can deliver on a peak winter day today. So we've got to coordinate how we transition through this and leverage all of those resources that are available to us, bringing renewable natural gas in that comes from agriculture and waste, and to make sure we leverage that provides a a better transition, uh, a more affordable transition for our communities, more reliability and more resilience for, for our energy infrastructure, and ultimately can deliver the same or even better environmental benefits by leveraging the gas and electric infrastructure in a coordinated way. 
Okay, now I, I hear you. You know, I favor that, and I love your idea of uh, reducing greenhouse green, the greenhouse gas emissions by approximately ninety percent by twenty thirty. I look at the states, though, and I say, okay, well, be a big business in Kentucky—that's a kind of a coal state. Pennsylvania, oil and gas state, because you're in the western part of it. I don't necessarily uh, look at the uh, Ohio's used to coal. I, I don't look at the regions and think, you know what? Um, they're all necessarily rowing on this in the same boat, are they? All rowing in the same direction. No, there are many different uh, visions on the pathways to to drive a clean energy future. Um, And and again, I think uh, what we share in common is the abundant natural resources and the infrastructure to deliver those resources. The the territory that we serve has has long been a natural resource basin for America's energy production, from coal historically to natural gas today with the shale regions. But think about agriculture and renewable natural gas as an energy resource, and we have abundant resources there as well. By blending those together, coordinating those, we can deliver a much cleaner future, cleaner in the sense of greenhouse gas emissions reduced, leveraging that infrastructure and relying less on um, supplies from around the world. And so we think we have a really superior position here to navigate this, uh, this opportunity set. Now, when I dig down your webpage, you've got something interesting. You, you have uh, partnerships, builders and developers, uh, people who build out for you. and You've got a substantial plan to build. Uh, your areas are some of the tightest labor markets in the country, which I love, by the way. It's, just, it's the wrong word. Your areas are, are areas where people are making a good living. And I think that's how we have to, we have to stop thinking about it. It's like your areas are where wages are going up because wages should go up, for heaven's sake, for the working person. But are there enough people to do the jobs you need? That's a concern. As, as we look to the future, um, this transition, we certainly have people who are being displaced from the legacy coal-based uh, energy economy. And retraining and new opportunities for them is a key part of the transition. And, and, and it's important that we lay out a plan that provides time and support for American workers to make this transition. And that's, that's a key aspect of what we're doing. We laid out a plan three years ago now that will actually be playing out over the next two years to make sure that we have time to work through the transition and support workers who are affected by that. So there's a transition aspect to that. But there's also very much a need to train the workers of the future. And we think that provides ladders of opportunity for our vulnerable communities and people who today are not accessing the benefits of such a, as you said, a tight labor market. So we see it as a net positive if we do it right and we do that in a coordinated way. But I know I'm getting pressure to wrap, but I have to ask this. We have Jane Goodall on the show tonight. We're a huge believer in planting trees. I know you've got a gap of 10 percent of greenhouse emissions. Would you ever think of saying, you know what, you know what, people in our area, we will help you plant trees. We will match you if you want to plant trees. Carbon sequestration is ultimately going to be a key part of the answer here. Trees are a great way to do that. Many other ways to do that as well. Um, we think that you know all of that has to fit together in a coordinated way that need, may be regionally differentiated as well. So certainly if in favor of that. Okay, excellent. I want to thank Joe Hammer, our president CEO of NYSERS. You're doing the right thing, sir. You got to get everybody else to do what you're doing, though. We got we to work cut out for us. Thank you for being on Mad Money. My pleasure. I think that when you want to buy a utility, you want to do two things. First, you want to see if they're trying to get off coal, because coal's the worst thing we have in our environment, and then see how they're doing. Boy, I'll tell you, I never thought I'd ever take those in that order, but I think it's the way to go. Man Money's back here for free. Coming up, did the chicken cross the road and leave this stock with ruffled feathers? 
Amidst a raw material shortage, Kramer sits down with Wingstop to see what all the clucking's about. Next. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. How do you tell the difference between a temporary pullback and a far-reaching decline? Now, that's the question you need to ask whenever a stock you like gets hammered after a disappointing quarter. Which brings me to Wingstop. It's the beer and wings chain that delivered, I, I'm going to say it, a not-so-hot set of numbers this morning. A top and bottom line miss, domestic same-store sales coming in below 4%, Wall Street was looking for something north of 5 Guidance came in short, too. In response, therefore, the stock did get clobbered, went down 10%. And this one had already come down big since late September. Because of worries about out-of-control chicken wings uh, and, uh, you know, the costs are high and also higher wages. Now, but in Wingstop's defense, this is a company with an incredible long-term track record that was up against some very tough comparisons in the difficult operating environment. We've seen the stock pull back hard after less than stellar earnings before, and every time it was a buying opportunity. So will this time be different? Let's check in with Charlie Morrison. He's the chairman and CEO of Wingstop to get a better read on the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Morrison, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having me on today, Jim. All right, so Charlie, it's hard for me. I, you know, I've been a supporter since you're 28. Okay, it was $28 stock. There were things in the quarter that I know were what I'm going to call noisy. Like the higher chicken prices, you have some labor issues. Overall, I think it's hard to figure out what you should be able to do. As you said, between what well, you're supposed to compare to two years ago, last year, I didn't think it was all as, as bad as the stock would indicate. But maybe I'm being too rosy. I think these costs can go down. I think wind costs can go down. I think your labor costs don't necessarily have to rise. Am I too much of an optimist? Oh, I don't think so at all, Jim. I think you're spot on. Uh, wing prices are coming down. As of today, they've already come down almost 40 cents a pound uh, since their peak. And I think that's a good indicator that uh, the supply of chicken wings is growing. The amount of birds that are being placed in the market, we expect that to continue to grow into the first quarter of next year. That's going to uh, start to rebalance things back to the levels that we saw before the pandemic. And I think that's creating optimism not only for us, for our franchisees, that we will weather this, this uh, temporary storm that we've seen, just like we have in years past when we've seen volatility with this product. The brand continues to grow. Now, are you going to keep the thigh stop even if, if wing prices go down? Absolutely. It's a key part of our strategy, Jim. We want to make sure that we continue to use more and more parts of the bird 
Long term, our supply chain strategy incorporates the use of the full bird. Uh, that gives us opportunities to work vertically into the supply chain, own more of the product, uh, and not just be reliant upon the spot market purchases that we've had in the past. When I read the research reports, I mean, they're usually about, well, the cost of chicken. I want to know this. Uh, has there been any cessation and people want to uh, own Wingstop franchises? I, I, I couldn't hear. Any I'm cessation? Sorry, I mean, are people still clamoring to own Wingstop no, no. franchises? No, not at all. I mean, people want to own Wingstop franchises. Our franchisees are developing very aggressively. We had another record-setting quarter. Development was up 13.1% over the prior year. Uh, we anticipate that that will continue into the fourth quarter. We have a great big pipeline uh, ready for development into 2022 and beyond. Uh, I think it's a great time to be uh, building restaurants. Uh, now, I was in Mexico City recently, and the Mexico City airport is just a wing stop airport. And a lot of people go to Mexico City. I don't think people in America know how big that city is. But uh, you, you have a lot more cities you can be in than just that one, right? Absolutely. Mexico is our largest international market with over 100 restaurants strong and growing on our way to about 200, maybe 250 restaurants. We opened London in 2018. The U.K. market has become one of our uh, best performing markets ar around the world. Our average unit volumes now are exceeding $2 million on average in, in the U.K. That's above what our average unit volume is here in the U.S. We're on our way to other markets in Western Europe. China is on our frontier. Uh, the international business is really booming back for Wingstop. I'm excited about the future. Well, let's cover this China. It was mentioned in it that it would be uh, it, it would be done with a partner, correct? It's not just on your own. That's correct. Yeah, most likely franchising is not really the right structure there. You work with a partner uh, who can help you build that business and grow it. They know the market. They know the real estate. They know how to navigate uh, some of the challenges in that market. It's been a success strategy for a lot of U.S. brands. It'll probably be the same for us. Uh, digital ordering still very successful in America? Actually, it's continuing to be very solid, over 60 percent, right up there with the big pizza players now. Our, di our delivery business has actually been growing. It grew year over year by almost 300 basis points compared to the same quarter last year, where a lot of brands are seeing that start to tail off. Wingstop's continuing to grow. Now, you gave two things that I found quizzical. One is uh, a rebate of $6.9 million of advertising surplus. And also last year, you gave uh, employees, they got a, a special, I guess, because of, of COVID, uh, bumps and making so that year-over-year -year labor costs weren't that bad. Explain both of these to me, both the labor delta and the advertising delta. I'll start with the advertising. You know, we entered 2021 with a big surplus of advertising dollars based on our strong performance in same-store sales of over 20% for the year last year. We carried that into our two major advertising windows this year, split that between the two, and have seen our comps continue to grow. I mean, 29% uh, plus two-year comps in the third quarter alone is indicative of the strength of our brand, the strength of our advertising. We actually found ourselves in another surplus situation. We worked with our franchisees and felt like, hey, we can give that back to them during some of these tight cost pressure times uh, and put that to, to work in, ter in terms of development of new restaurants. So all in all, I think that's a strength. Um, the labor crisis that's out there, it's affecting everyone. It's affecting our business. We did pay uh, a lot of retention bonuses during 2020 to retain workers in our restaurants. Now we're fighting some of the challenges and we're paying up. We're making sure that we're providing uh, a fair wage to our team members in our corporate restaurants and all of our franchise restaurants. We recognize the prices are going up. We're investing in that for the long-term benefit of the brand. We think that's going to continue to deliver great service to our customers as well as uh, provide uh, for our long-term growth strategy as a brand. Uh, one last question. When, let's say I want to uh, get a Wingstop franchise. 
would I look at the labor situation and say, you know what? This isn't like the way it was two or three years ago. I'm a little turned off by it. Or would I say, you know what? My average unit volume per store has gone up enough that it would actually not hurt my bottom line. If anything, my bottom line could be increased. I think we have one of the best investment models in the industry, Jim. Our average unit volume is $1.6 million. That's on an investment of $400,000, four to one, about as good as it gets. The labor model in our restaurants is very efficient. We only require a roster size of about 16 to 18 people on our roster. We can run a shift uh, with as few as four. And so while we're dealing with the challenges others are dealing with as well, uh, our ability to bring new talent into the business, pay a, a good, solid, competitive wage uh, is well within our means. And I don't think a franchisee, uh, although they have to weather the near term, I think long term, we all recognize this is the right thing to do for our business. Well, as someone who's in the business, I can tell you, I wish I had those unit economics. Those are really pretty amazing, Charlie. They really are. And you even go into how much, how little your rent is versus the, the ones, the rent that I know. Uh, I think things very much intact. I'm glad you came on, Charlie. Come on in good and bad times. And this isn't really a bad time. Charlie Morrison, President CEO of Wingstop WNG. Good to see you, sir. Thank you, Jim. Good to see you. The way you measure these things isn't the way Wall Street tells you. As someone who is in this business, the way you measure it is whether the unit economics are still great so that you want to have more. Uh, I can't own these stores. I wish I could because, boy, I can tell you they're great investments. So, therefore, the stock's a great investment. They have money spec if Coming up, Mark Benioff is putting his skin in the game to fight climate change but not without the help of a legendary friend. Dr. Jane Goodall joins the show with the lowdown on her latest initiative. Make like a trillion trees and stick with Kramer. If we protect forests and plant trees, we will truly help solve the climate crisis. It's that simple. So here's the challenge. Can we work together to plant a trillion trees by the end of this decade? We need everyone, not just for the sake of climate, for the sake of all living creatures. You might know Jane Goodall as the world's number one primate expert, but she's also a conservationist, Don Goodwin, too. Hence this huge Trees for Jane reforestation initiative. Now, this might seem like an unusual topic for Mad Money. After all, what do I, I play a walking dollar sign on TV. But even I need a habitable planet. Many business leaders have had the same realization, especially Mark Benioff at Salesforce.com, but also Enrique Loris at HP. And they've been instrumental in setting up this reforestation campaign. By the way, their stocks have been great, so let's not think that they're hurting you if you're a shareholder. But tonight we got a real treat. I'm sitting with a truly iconic figure, Dr. Jane Goodall herself, about Trees for Jane, her climate change advocacy, and her new book, The Book of Hope, A Survival Guide for Trying Times. Dr. Goodall, welcome to Mad Money. Well, thank you very much. We are honored to have you, and we are honored to talk about Trees for Jane. I think people don't know, Dr. Goodall, exactly what trees do for the planet and how important it is that we get on the case and start planting more trees. So I'm going to give you the floor to talk about trees for Jane. Okay. well, the thing is that trees, forests, particularly forests, are one of the two great lungs of the world. The other is the ocean. And they both absorb carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. You know, one of the main greenhouse gases and they give us oxygen. And forests give us clean water, clean air. They help to make rain. 
Um, so they, they mitigate climate change. Now, in your book, uh, The Book of Hope, which I think is just terrific and a must read for those who are trying to figure out their place in the world, you do talk about uh, what are being done to try to what's being done to get a trillion trees. And I was surprised that you talked about this at Davos with a lot of business leaders. And it seems like business is uh, embracing trees for Jane. Yeah, I think business is finally realizing that we have to do something to stop deforestation. And, you know, the, the co-founder of Trees for Jane, Jeff Horowitz, he started Avoided Deforestation Company. And together we went to lots of things like Davos and talked to these business leaders because I, I, think, I think you'll agree, mad money should, that, that profits, a lot of profits should go back into healing the environment that we have so destroyed, a lot of it because of business. Well, you do talk, and in your fine uh, short video, it, it, it is profit, it is greed that is, uh, that is chopping down the forest is faster, faster, of course, than we can replace it. But I know that you've had some uh, good discussions with uh, Mark Benioff from Salesforce and also um, Enrico Loris from, uh, from HP, who have very much embraced your cause. Absolutely, and uh, both of them have helped to make Trees for Jane a possibility. And it's people like that that we now need to step up to the plate. And I think the bits of good news from COP26 that I've heard is that there have been major pledges by a number of countries to put money into reforestation and prevention of destroying of the forest, which is really, really important. Now, I want you to just, uh, I love the concept of hope. Uh, and what it means. And I'm going to deviate a little bit from the mad money uh, format to just say, could you talk about those two trees in Nagasaki and what they mean? Oh, well, after the atomic bomb was dropped after World War, that ended World War Two, then everything was, I don't know if you've seen pictures, but absolutely desolate. I mean, there was nothing left. But there were these two trees and they somehow survived, and they somehow grew. And I've seen one of them in Nagasaki, and it's sort of got a great hollow with black inside, but every spring it puts out new leaves. And, you know, there's another one right in New York where the Twin Towers fell that was buried under several stories of one of the towers and emerged, it was rescued, and from one root and one trunk and one branch. It's now a beautiful tree. Well, what this means to me is, is that the cause is uh, reasonably, we can win. We can win because trees themselves are social, social beings, that trees have tremendous uh, ability to, to resurrect themselves, but we have to plant them before they can do that. And I understand that there are also people all over the world, not just governments, not just corporations, who are embracing the cause. Just plant one tree, plant two trees, and it will make a difference. Yes, if you if you plant the right tree, uh, preferably an indigenous tree in the right soil at the right time of year, and look after it. You can't just pop it in the ground and say, oh, I've done my bit. This is going to grow into a wonderful tree. It might, but 10 to 1 it won't. You have to, you know nurture it. And one of the very important things is bringing trees into urban areas. It has, it's got many, many benefits. 
and it brings nature into the city. It's been shown that time in nature actually is good for our mental and physical health. Now, when you are an advocate, uh, say, at the Glasgow COP meetings that are going on or at Davos, uh, do you explain to people uh, in a profit and loss uh, way that if they don't plant trees, then many of their forecasts for 2025, 2030, 2050 that these corporations routinely make may just prove to be completely false because we don't have enough trees? Yes, I know. I know. It, it's we, We've just got to keep keep our trees growing. For, for one thing, you know, they're, they're extremely beautiful to me anyway. I fell in love with a tree when I was a child in my garden. And I, this is where I'm speaking to you from, the house I grew up in. And out there through the window, I can see that beech tree. It's much bigger now, but it's even more beautiful. So I've loved trees ever since I was very, very small. I mean, a lot of people know you as a lover of chimpanzees. I think that they might understand that trees have been a cause that you've embraced for a long time. When I saw a dinner with, when I had dinner with Mark Benioff recently, he was talking about saving the oceans. And you said, well, how about the trees? And it resonated because of your longtime love of trees, but also because there are meetings now. I mean, I don't know whether you're getting much hope from what's happening in Glasgow right now that seem to indicate that there's going to be success with treesforjane.org. Well, I, I sincerely hope so, because I think many people love trees and many people are feeling helpless and hopeless because of climate change and loss of biodiversity. But uh, when you actually do something to make a difference, it gives you hope. I mean, it makes you feel good. And then you want to do more of it. But, you know, one thing you said, yes, the corporation's greed is cutting down the forest. The other thing is poverty. Because if you're really poor and your family is growing and you've overused your farmland, you're going to cut down more trees to make more land, to grow food to feed your family or to make some money from charcoal or timber. So alleviating poverty is really important, as well as bringing business corporations in to the fight to save our planet for future generations. Well, we're going to leave it at that. Dr. Goodall, thank you so much for coming on. And we're all supporters of treesforjane.org. And we'll try to plant as many trees as we can. Thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Terrific. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be back at this break. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The Lightning Round is next. It is time. It's time for the Lightning Round. And then the Lightning Round is over. Are you ready? Keep that down. The Lightning Round is over. Susan, Illinois. Susan. Hi. Booyah, Jim. How are you? Booyah. What's up, Susan? Listen, I bought Nano Dimensions about like in February, and I bought it at fourteen dollars, and you know, and some change. And I'm trying to see should I stick with it? Um, do I don't like. Oh, I'll just say this: I do not like the 3D printing business. It's a faddish business. People ignited DDD at one point, but this one, I don't have that much hope for. To be honest, let's go to Nick in Georgia. Nick. Hey, Jim. Nick, what's up? Hey, should I buy buy now for a long term play in XOS? 
Oh, boy. Uh, you know, mobility solutions. We've, we've heard people in these. We got excited about them like everybody else, and we couldn't make money for you. So I'm going to say no. Val in Minnesota. Val. Hey, Kramer. I've been digging deep into share care ever since Jeff Arnold was on your show. They seem to have solid leadership, big investors, and a business model that can launch well-past names like PDOC and Amwell. With earnings and two other catalysts uh, next week, volume and media coverage has been lower than expected. Uh, yeah, the my hope is they report a blowout quarter uh, because they need to get, uh, get back to 10, and I think that they can do it. But we've got to see the quarter first. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, hot, hot, Mike. Make sense of the day's most critical market machinations in no time flat. Stick with Kramer for a special no huddle next. Jim Kramer, you're one of my heroes. I look forward to your show every weeknight. Thank you so much for helping beginning investors like me. When you talk about the market, I just believe that you're spot on. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. Every night we watch you, I have learned and earned. Hubris, arrogance, stupidity. Those are the words that come to mind when I think of Zillow's ill-fated decision to get into the home-flipping business a few years ago. And the same goes for the ham-handed way they handled yesterday's decision to get out of this disaster while laying off a quarter of their staff. A quarter of their staff. It's because of these three sins, hubris, arrogance, and stupidity, that Rich Barton, CEO of Zillow, has earned his place on the mad money wall of shame. It doesn't help that his stock has gone from 165 in a matter of days. I want you to, I gotta put this thing in context. It's quite a dubious honor. We don't bring it out very often. In 2017, Zillow decided that they had such incredible insight, both from experience and from artificial intelligence, into the process of buying and selling homes. They might as well perform both sides of the trade. That's why they describe themselves as market makers of homes, just like market makers of stocks. Well, they made this high-risk endeavor, one of the highest, sound like a natural extension of their core business, even though the core business is online advertising. They fed Wall Street all sorts of claptrap about how they understood the real estate market better than anyone. Way too many money managers and analysts bought this bogus proposition hook, line, and sinker. Not me. I repeatedly warned you about how risky this move could be. When Zillow began to take its instant offers business from test reality in October of 2018, I came out here against the tide and warned you that home flipping and online advertising simply don't belong under the same roof. Now you can say, wait a second, it was the old CEO, Spencer Raskoff, who came up with this cockamamie idea. So how can I nail the new guy, Rich Barton, to the wall of shame, even though it was co-founder? Simple. Barton embraced it. And if anything, he sold it even harder than Raskoff. Here's what I said in 2019. Maybe Rich Barton can orchestrate a phenomenal turnaround at Zillow. I'm glad he's running things again. But I think this headlong rush into the house flipping business could prove to be very risky. And even if it works, there will be absolutely be some brutal speed bumps along the way. In retrospect, I should have been much more negative. Because now Zillow's winding down this house flipping business, and they're trying to sell 7,000 homes to some institutional investors for reported $2.8 billion. So much for the fix and flip. Remember, Zillow described itself as a market maker to houses, but no market maker worth his salt ever hangs one to that much inventory without being summarily fired. 
Looks like the historical insights and even the artificial intelligence algorithms, well, the company was using, they weren't up to the job. Zillow's now taking $569 million in write-offs as it winds down the business. Or as CEO Rich Barton told Sarah Eisen and Will Frost on Closing Bell yesterday, the business was too risky, too volatile to our earnings and operations, and it had, quote, too low of a return on equity opportunity, end quote. Hey, if only someone had just warned him about this years ago. Oh, wait, I, I, I did so re- repeatedly. No wonder five different firms downgraded Zillow from buy to hold and plummeted another 20 points today. What makes this so infuriating is that Barton treated us like suckers. That's why he's more than earned his wolf of shame status. Sure, he sounded apologetic now. Oh, yeah, he was very apologetic on the show. But he had been incredibly reassuring about the house flipping division as previously as, previously as the previous quarter. Yesterday, Barton admitted that, and I quote, fundamentally, we have been unable to predict the future pricing of homes to a level of accuracy that makes this a safe business to be in, end quote. Yet in August, he was telling us, and I quote, I confess to being excited by how how well Zillow offers is doing in such a hot seller's market, end quote. Then he added, quote, I'm comparatively more confident now than I was even a quarter ago. So it feels good to me, end quote. The nerve of this guy. He was feeling real confident a few months ago. Then yesterday he said the business had been more volatile than he ever expected possible. But wait, we knew about the pandemic in August. We knew about the high cost of repairing homes in August. We knew about the material shortages in August. We've known housing is hard to predict since 2007. How quickly we forget. And uh, by the way, when I say we, I mean Zillow. This whole shameful affair has left me thinking that Rich Barton has to go. When that happens, I will gladly take him off the wall. Until then, Rich... Enjoy your stay. You deserved it. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, package-less and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.